book of Isaiah chapter 50 says, Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? Whom I have put away? Or whom, which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, your iniquities, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. So God here, uh, once again, God is, is, is prophesying to these people. Isaiah is prophesying to these people, and God is telling them through Isaiah how they, what they're going to be thinking during the time of their captivity. He's, uh, once again, this was a hundred years, give or take, before the captivity actually, uh, actually took place before uh, they were taken into Bible. Uh, the Babylonian bondage and God here is, uh, is saying where is the bill of your, uh, of your mother's divorcement where, uh, where, where is this thing where, uh, have I sold you unto a creditor folks I can promise you and God was promising his people here uh, in not so many words uh, that he has not divorced Israel let's get that off, uh, off the plate real quick God is not finished with the nation Israel. God's still got a plan. They are still the apple of his eye. He is not finished with the Jewish race. He is not finished with the Jewish nation. God has got plans for Israel. God, uh, and uh, when Israel, and if Israel is delivered, it will be the same way that you and I as born again children of God were delivered. It will be by the same blood of the same Messiah, the man Jesus Christ. When Israel is delivered, when they are offered up uh, or offered their salvation it will be by the same Jesus that you and I were saved by and it will be by the same blood that you and I were saved by but here God is saying where is the bill of this divorcement he's saying I haven't I haven't uh, divorced you I haven't gotten rid of you but you are in bondage because of your own transgressions you're the one that went out the way you're the one that transgressed against my law. You're the one that went against the word of God. And he says, yeah, can I have sold, or uh, where's the proof? In other words, that I have sold you uh, to someone. Folks, in the Old Testament law, in the law that Almighty God gave himself, he said that a man could sell himself into slavery. And sometimes in the East, there were people that would sell their children into slavery, but they had to be in dire straits. It was pretty much a last resort that they could come to in order to do that. Folks, I can assure you that Almighty God that spoke the universe into existence, that created the heavens, He created the earth, He created all the treasures there are, He created you, and He created me. He owns the hills and the cattle thereon. He is the one that blesses with all His treasure. He is the one that has a storehouse of blessing. He is the one that owns it all. He had no need to sell these people into bondage. He had no reason to sell them into slavery. And this is what he was getting at his own people. I did not put you here. You put yourself here. Right. You keep in mind, he's talking to his people. He's talking to, to what would have been considered the church of that day. He's talking to those whom he had redeemed. 
those of the same people uh, that, that were were brought across the Red Sea, those which he had delivered. Now, now granted, those, that generation had come and gone. That generation had died long before this, but they were of the same race. They were the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. It was the same people, the very people that God called the apple of his eye. He was speaking to these people, those that had experienced his delivery, those that knew all about the manna falling in the wilderness, those that knew about the water that flowed from the rock, those that knew about the quail that God sent, those that knew that God had provided everything that their ancestors would ever need. They knew all these accounts from the Old Testament scriptures. They had experienced God for themselves, and yet they veered to the left or they veered to the right, and they did not heed to the word of God. And God says, this is the reason you're in the shape that you're in. So on to verse 2. He says, Wherefore came I? Wherefore when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all, that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, in my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh, because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. Verse 3, I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth for their covering. Once again, folks, this is the almighty God of the universe. This is the God of, the, of their fathers, whom he was writing to here. He says, you're not here. Uh, you're not going to be here in this captivity uh, uh, because I'm unable to deliver you. You're not going to be there because I have lost some of my power. You're not going to be here because of anything to do with me. It is not in me why you're there. It is all in you. Hey, Christian friend, let me tell you now, if you get cold and indifferent on God, if you let you prayer life slack, if you let your Bible reading slack, if you let your relationship with God slack just a little bit, you might wind up in the same shape that these Israelites here were getting ready to go into. But when that happens, don't you dare point your finger at God and say, why did you allow me to get in this kind of shape? Why did you allow me to come to this place of darkness? Why do I feel like such a slave? Because God will down upon you and say, I didn't do this to you. You did it to yourself. God, it's not in God. It is in you while we leave God. That's right. God will chase us. Praise God for it. He's had to chase me a lot in the years that I've been saved. And if you're honest with yourself, he's had to chase you around the block a time or two in the years that you've been saved. But I am the children of God. I am God's elect. I'm a born-again child of God, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I am God, and he is mine. I, he is my beloved, and I am his. Praise God for all of these things. But folks, if I'm not careful, I can let my Christian life, I can let my spiritual walk get cold. I can let it get dark. I can let it go out, go off into blackness somewhere. But if it happens, it is all my fault and not God's. It is not because God has lost any of his power to keep me. It's not because God has lost any of his power to, 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 to make sure that I continue in the same state, to make sure that salvation is indeed mine by the blood of Jesus Christ. If I walk off and I leave this behind and I go down the wrong path, it is all me and not God. 
We have no right to point a finger at God. No right whatsoever. God has not lost any power to save. God has not lost any power to deliver. And God has not lost any power to keep that which belongs to him. He says, he says here, have I no... Have I no power to deliver? Behold, in my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I think he was bringing the Israelites' uh, remembrance back to their deliverance, uh, to the to the deliverance of the Jewish nation through the Red Sea. Folks, that was all an act of God. I know we talk about Moses standing at the edge of the Red Sea, and we talk about him holding his staff up, and we talk about him spreading his hands, and we see all this. But folks, ultimately, it was not an act of Moses. It was an act of Almighty. God because of the faith of a man named Moses. God is the one that parted that sea. God is the one that made the water as a wall on either side of those Israelites. God is the one that sent the east wind to dry up the seabed that the Israelites could cross over to the other side on dry land. It was all an act of God, not of Moses or any other man. He says he done the same thing with the rivers. He bringing their remembrance back again. When they crossed over in the, in the Canaan, when they crossed over in the Promised Land, what did God do? He parted the Jordan River. Not only did he part the Jordan River, but he parted it at the very height uh, of the flood season, folks. And those people over there in Jericho, they knew there had to have been an act of God because it was impossible for man to have done that. It would have been impossible for man to have dammed up enough walls, for man to have slung enough rocks, for man to have done anything to cross that river river. It had to have been an act of God. God says, I do these things. I parted the sea. I dry up the rivers. I do all these things. What makes you think I've lost any of that power? Hallelujah. He says, I clothe the heavens with blackness. He says, I make sackcloth their covering. God does these things. Folks, God is in control of it all. Whether you and I like it or not, and whether you or I, you and I even believe it or not, just because someone doesn't believe in God doesn't mean God doesn't exist. Just because someone might doubt the goodness of God doesn't mean that God is not good. And just because they doubt that God controls the weather does not mean that He doesn't control the weather. Folks, God made the winds. He's the one that He's the one that the billows belong to. The storms belong unto God. The rain belongs unto, unto God. The sunshine does when the moon shines her light. It all belongs to God. He's the one that set the tides. He's the one that keeps them from overflowing the land right now. God is the one that does all these things. Why would we think he has lost any of his power? Praise God. And if you think about this, the God the God that controls all these things. He made the sun. He made the moon. He made the stars. And he calls each and every one of them by name. Praise God. He done all of these things. And that is great. And it's miraculous. And it's powerful. The folks, it is tiny. And it is minuscule. That's compared to the power that God has to save one lost soul. It is insignificant. The power of God in those actions and in those things is insignificant as compared to 
His power to redeem a lost race of mankind. His power to redeem sinners. His power to come to where they are and convict them of this, their sin. Show them that they have been rebellious against Him and say, I have sent one named Jesus Christ. I send Him to be the propitiation for your sin. I send Him that you might not suffer. I send Him that you might have love and have it more abundantly. This is the ultimate act of the power of our God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Praise God for the weather. Amen. Praise God for earthquakes and volcanoes. Hey, God's in control of all of that. It's all in his power. It is all in his power. Praise him for all those things. Folks, praise him for salvation. Praise him that he has no lost power to deliver. Praise him that he has not only power to deliver, he's power to keep. He's power to keep these people. Folks, God, once again, God had not divorced Israel. He had to just cast them off and said, I'm done with you. Just a few chapters before this, he said, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. When thou passest through the water, I will be with thee. When the, when the, the when there crosses the river, uh, they will not overflow thee. When thou walkest across the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. This was a promise that he made to these same people that he's telling they're getting ready to go into captivity. They're getting ready to go into bondage. And it is because of their own failure to heed to the word of God. But he didn't completely cast them off. He didn't completely cast them off. Let's continue reading. This is where we start getting into the messianic part of it. If you like, read this as Jesus speaking it in the first person. Because I'm of the opinion, and I'm persuaded that that's exactly what's going on here. In verses 4 through 9. Verse 4, the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear. To hear as to learn. The Lord, he says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learn. Now I understand this was Isaiah the prophet. Now I understand he was penning these words. And I understand that all scripture is breathed of God and it's all inspired by the Holy Ghost. But folks, throughout the scriptures, we see messianic prophecies. We see prophecies of Jesus. We have no biblical proof. We read it just a little while ago. There is nothing in the Bible about Isaiah ever having his beard plucked out. There's nothing in the Bible about Isaiah ever offering his back to the smiters. But there is scripture to show that these, that these things uh, were prophesied of our Messiah. They were prophesied of Jesus Christ. So he says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. And people will look at that and they'll say, well, if that's Jesus Christ speaking, if that was truly the Messiah that was being prophesied there, what did he have to learn? Hey, folks, in the Bible, Jesus Christ was born as a baby, just as you and I were born as a baby. He grew up through his childhood. He went through his toddler years. He went through his adolescence years. Went through his teenage years. And his ministry began when he was about the, time, the age of 30 years old. But the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and he grew in stature. So Jesus Christ being yes all God but he was also all man God. Jesus Christ hey he 
met with the Father, did he not? He would go out, according to Mark chapter 1, he'd go out in the wee hours of the morning to be alone with God, to pray to God, to seek God, to seek what he could do for God and seek what God would have him to do. So don't say, well, he was Jesus. He should have known all these things. Jesus was God, and Jesus is God. I'm not denying that one single bit. But here the Bible says, He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. God instructed, God the Father instructed God the Son. I don't know exactly how deep that goes. I don't exactly, you know exactly how detailed that goes. I don't know if he told him every word that he would say that day or every word that he would go that day or every one that he would be running into that day. All I know is that the Bible says and confirms that God, that Jesus Christ was instructed while he was here. And he was instructed by God the Father. Verse uh, Verse 5, the Lord hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away my back. Folks, this does not mean that God had to reach down and cry open the ear of Jesus Christ for him to hear what he had to say. This isn't talking about hearing at all. This verse, hearing, was covered in the previous verse to this. This is talking about something that you'll find over in Exodus chapter 21, that if a man uh, uh, was made a slave, that was all fine and well. If he had a wife, that was all fine and well. But at the end of his six-year stint, he could go back out. If he had a wife, he could take his wife. If he had children, he could take his wife and his children. But it says that if he loved his master, if he wanted to stay with his master, that his master would bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and he would bore his ear through with an awl, and he would serve his master forever. This servant would serve that master forever. This is the opening of the air that is being spoken of here by Jesus Christ. His whole meat was to do the Father's will. His whole mission was to come here and do the Father's will by making a way of redemption and reconciliation to the God that had cast off man back in the garden. His whole mission was to do the will of the Father and it goes on forever. He said he's opened my ear. He's opened my ear. I was not rebellious. Jesus never once said, are you sure about this, Father? Are you sure this is the only way? Now, I understand when he was in the garden, he said, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he never once rebelled against the Father. This was perfect obedience. And Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not, I don't care how high and prideful and holy you think your Christian walk's been, Jesus Christ is the only one to ever serve God the Father perfectly obedient. In perfect obedience. He is the only one to ever do so. I don't care if you've been saved for a year, a month, or a hundred years. Jesus Christ is the only one that has ever served God in perfect obedience. It says, I was not rebellious, neither turned, uh, neither turned away my back. He said, I wasn't rebellious. I didn't ask. I didn't ask if he was sure. I didn't argue against it. He said, I didn't turn away my back. I didn't try and run the other way. I didn't run from this. I knew it was the Father 
Father's will for me to do this. Hey, when, when this plan was developed, Jesus Christ was there. When, when it was put into play, Jesus Christ was there. When it was being executed, Jesus Christ was there. And, and ever since then, as the Spirit of God is applying the atoning blood of Jesus Christ to every born again believer since 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ has been there. He has always been there. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore and on the keys of hell and of death. Hallelujah. That's my Jesus that we're talking about. Hallelujah. He said he, turned, he didn't turn his back. He didn't run the other direction. He accepted. He accepted what he was to do. I gave my back to the smiters. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Praise God. That's what we deserve. If you're here born again, if you're saved, that's what you're, you deserve. If you're here lost, that's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. I deserve to have my back smitten. I deserve to have my face spit upon. I deserve to have my beard plucked out of my cheeks. I deserve the beating. I deserve the scourging. I deserve the humiliation. I deserved it all. But Jesus Christ, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. He's the one that took this punishment upon himself. Jesus Christ offered his back to the smiters. Jesus Christ offered his cheek to those which would pluck out his hair. Why would he do it in such obedience? Because it was the will of the Father. Because that's how it had to be done. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hallelujah. I deserved everything that he took. Everything that he bore. Everything that he was. And everything that was laid upon him was my punishment. And it was yours. Whether you're saved or lost here this morning, it was your punishment that Jesus Christ took upon himself. He offered his back to the smiters. None of us would do that. I wouldn't do that now, being a born-again child of God. He offered his cheek to those which would pluck the hair out of it. I wouldn't do that now, even being a born-again child of God. But Jesus Christ knew it, that I could become a born-again child of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Praise God, for the Lord God will help me. He gave the what? He said he offered his back to the smiters. He offered his cheek to those who would pluck the hair out. And he tells us the why. For the Lord God will help me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. He says the Lord will help him. Therefore I shall not be confounded. I'm sorry, I skipped the verse. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know I shall not be ashamed. He says the Lord will help me. And because that the Lord will help me. Remember this this was uh, 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 prophetic of Jesus Christ because the Lord would help him. This is why he could set his face like a flint. Not only that because he, he was God come in the flesh, but because God the Father would help him. And he knew this. He, he knew everything. He knew everything about this whole plan. He knew what was going to take place. He said because uh, the Lord God, because, uh, because he will help me. This is 
is the reason I can offer my back. This is the reason I can offer up my cheeks. He will help me. I will not be ashamed of what I'm going to do. For it is the Father's will that this take place. It is the Father's uh, hope for mankind. It is the only hope that we have in the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made. Hallelujah. This is the reason. Because God will help him. He says, the Lord God will help me. That's the Hebrew term, Yahweh Elohim. And that's used several times, many times throughout the scriptures. The Lord God, speaking of the power of God and speaking of the, uh, of the uh, uh, omniscience of God and the omnipotence of God. Speaking of everything about God is wrapped up in those two words, the Lord God. He says, the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore, if I set my face like a flint, and I know I shall not be ashamed. Not I might be. Folks, he wasn't, he wasn't dreading shame when he said, said, nevertheless, it's not my will, but thy will be done. When he said, if there be another way, let this cup pass from me. It's not because he was dreading shame. Folks, he was dreading what he would have to go through. Yes, and he would have, and I would too. He was dreading what he had to go through as a man. He was dreading the pain. He was he was dreading all this. There's people out there that, that say that Jesus Christ, and this is this is a heretical teaching, but they'll say that that uh, Jesus Christ didn't become the Son of God until the Spirit of God descended on him at the baptism. And they'll say just before the crucifixion, the Spirit of God removed itself from Jesus, and it was just a man that was being that was being crucified there. Folks, I can't find that bunch of garbage anywhere in the Scripture. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ was, is, and never will be the Son of God. Amen. He was just as much God there in Mary's womb as he is now at the Father's right hand. He was just as much God in the manger as he was there on the cross. He is just as much God now as he was in this time, in Isaiah's time, and in the time of Abraham. He is God. He always will be God. And beside him, there is no other. So when you hear teaching like that, you be careful. For the Lord God will, uh, will help me. Therefore, I shall not be confounded. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. He's determined what he's going to do. Not only did Christ determine what he was going to do, but it was determined for him what he would do. And remember, he was not rebellious. We read that just a verse or two ago. He is near that justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. He is near that justifies me. Praise God. Not only could Christ say this about the Father, that he is near which justifies me. I can say that about a being a born-again child of God, that he is near that justifies me. He is so near that justifies me that he dwells on the inside of me. He never leaves me. It's not that I'll go one way and he'll go the other. Hey, God is always with me. My Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It teaches that he'll go with us always, even to the end of the world. It teaches that he will never leave nor forsake his children. He that justifies me is near unto me. And Christian, take heed to that and comfort yourself in that scripture that God has not left you. If you're a born again child of God, God is still with you. He is still there to console. He is still there to guide. He is still there to help. And he is still there to chastise if you get out of line. Just like a 
good father should. Amen. Just like a good father will. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let him stand together. In other words, who's going to argue this with me? Let him stand with me. Who will contend? Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. We have an adversary, folks. If you're here and you're saved, we, you have the same adversary that I do. We have the one that accuses the brethren both night and day. He accuses the brethren. But folks, his accusations are in vain. His accusations against the children of God are completely and totally in vain. But it shows the determination of the enemy. It shows the determination of Satan and of demons that they continually accuse us. Knowing good and well, hey, the Bible says the word of God is forever settled in heaven. They know, they know that it does no good for them to accuse the brethren. To accuse, and the Bible specifies, he accuses the brethren, those that are of like faith, those that have been born again, those that have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Hey, the, the Bible here says this would have been Jesus Christ saying to himself, who is my adversary? Let him come here to me. Let him come stand with me. For God is my witness and God is my helper. And because of God, I have no shame. Because of God, he will help me through this matter, Christian brother, and sister, we have the same guarantee in Scripture. If the adversary comes your way or comes my way, God is there to get us through. Hallelujah. <coughs> Verse 10. Give me just a few more minutes. Who is among you? I'm sorry, verse 9. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo. They also wax old as a garment. The moths shall eat them up. Behold, the Lord God will help me. The Lord God is brought up at least three times in these 11 verses of Scripture. The Lord God will help me. This is the same God that David was clinging to when he went against Goliath. When he said, you come to me with a sword, with spear, and with shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. He said, I don't care how big and tall and mean you are. I don't care that your spear is like that of a weaver's uh, beam. I don't care about any of these things, for I have the Lord God on my side. That's what David was depending on. Hey, folks, we can't depend upon ourselves. We'll get into that here in verse 11 when we get to it in just a minute. But we can't depend upon ourselves. We depend on God, and it's he that will help. It is he that has provided a way unto salvation, and it is he that will sustain us not only spiritually but it is he that will sustain us physically here on this earth as long as he wants us here God will sustain he will provide for his children he says the Lord will help me who is he that shall condemn me no one no one praise God Romans 8 and 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Because I'm in him. Not because I not because I done this or I done that. Not because I pray. Not because I, I attend church. Not because I sing songs or teach Sunday school or preach the word. These are not the reasons that there is no condemnation for me. The reason that there is no condemnation is because I am in Christ Jesus. 
The church would do well to get that under your belt, to get that in your head and in your heart. It's not because of what you're doing that there's no condemnation. It's because of what Christ has done for you and has done for sinners and has done for redemption and has done that we can be reconciled to a God that was angry with us. The God that the Bible says that his wrath abides upon the wicked. Hey folks, that wrath abode upon me. One day it abode on me for many years. But praise God, the wrath of God was taken off of me the moment that I got saved. The wrath of God no longer abides upon me, but the Spirit of God abides within me and it guides my steps and it guides my actions it guides my speech. It guides me into life everlasting provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Who is he that shall condemn me? No one. Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Anyone that's doing accusing. Anyone that's doing the condemnation. Anyone. Listen, folks, we can be brought before man. We can be brought into the courts of man. We can be accused falsely. All manner of things can be said against the children of God. And we might even be found guilty even though we're innocent. All kinds of things have been and will be said about the children of God. But one word of truth from God, one word of truth from God who cannot lie, will wipe away every false accusation. It will blot out everything that, that has been said inaccurately against the children of God. We may die here in this life. We may die as martyrs. We don't know. We don't know how we're going to pass on. We don't know who might walk in these church doors one day and just light the place up while we're here. We don't know. And they could be screaming all kinds of bad things about everybody inside. One word of truth, though, from God wipes away every bit of that. Wipes away every lie, every accusation, every condemnation. Take comfort in that. Take comfort that the God of all truth is the one that keeps you. Take comfort that the God that created this world is the one that keeps you. If he has all power to create and to keep the world and to keep the gears turning and to keep things happening the way they are. Everybody, or a lot of people think that the world just set in some automated motion. No, God has got control over every bit of it. It's not set on an automatic setting. God controls. God has it all in his hands. Take, take comfort in that thought. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? This is odd. Once again, he's speaking to God's children. He's speaking to Israelites. He's speaking to Judah. He says, who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness? Those, those two, uh, or those three things really don't seem to go hand in hand. They don't uh, seem to make a whole lot of sense if I fear the Lord. And if I'm heeding to the voice of his servant, why would I be walking around in darkness? Hey, folks, this goes back to the old adage of the walking on a dark path. Somewhere you're, uh, you get lost. You don't know where you're at. But it's better to walk with Almighty God in the dark because he knows where he's going than it is to walk completely alone and by myself in a pathway that is completely lit up for me to see my way. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, 
know that God knows what's in the darkness. He knows what's out there before us. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold or next week or next year, but Almighty God already knows exactly where I'll be, exactly what I'll be doing, and exactly who I might run into. This is darkness for me, but it is not to the Almighty. God knows his plan for you. He knows his plan for me. I fear the Lord. And I praise God I fear the Lord. And I've obeyed the voice of his servant. How so? And remember, this is a question being asked. Who is among you that fears the Lord? And obeys the voice of his servant. Who fears the Lord God and obeys the voice of the servant Jesus Christ? And walks in darkness. He walks in darkness and hath no light. That's me. I walk in darkness and I have no light. Hey, I appreciate the song. Psalm 119 says, Thou words a lamp under my feet and a light into my path. And, I, and I, I get that and I understand that and I thank God for it. But ultimately, folks, you and I, we walk in darkness. We walk in darkness because we don't know what lies ahead. But God does. God completely gets and understands and knows and has ordained what lies ahead for me. That gives me great comfort to know that God, whatever comes my way, whether it be sickness or whether it be health, whether it be uh, a broken checking account or whether it be an overflowing checking account, regardless of any of these things, God has ordained them and God has allowed them to happen and he's allowed them to happen for his purpose. He's warning Judah here, you're going into captivity and it's because of, of, of your own self, it's because of your own iniquity and your own transgression against my law that you're going there. But he's telling them all in this same, this same verse here, he, said, he says who uh, who fears God and who has obeyed the, the voice of his servant? Who has taken heed to these words that I'm saying? These are the ones that will be fine. The ones that, that take heed and pay attention to the word of God. Hey, when we preach the gospel, those that take heed to it, those that give themselves unto God and come to him in faith and repentance, they're the ones that have obeyed the voice of the servant Jesus Christ. It'll do them no good to obey my voice but to obey the voice of the spirit obey the voice of Christ obey the word of God Hallelujah. these are the things that need to be obeyed he walks in darkness and has no light let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God those that fear God those that have listened to the voice of the servant those that walk in darkness and have not light these are the ones that says, let him trust in the name of the Lord. When you're in darkness, speaking how God would have been speaking to these in Judah, these Israelites. When you're in darkness, when you're in captivity, because it's going to happen. When this happens, he says, let him trust in the name of the Lord. Not in the name of the Babylonian gods. Not in the name of Nebuchadnezzar. When that time comes, not in the name of your father and your mother, not in the name of Moses, not in the name of Abraham. That's what a lot of them were guilty of in the days of Jesus. They said, well, we're sons of Abraham. But are you sons of God? That's the thing. He says, these are the ones. Uh, he says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. 
That lays something over in the Jews' laps. It says, trust in the name of the Lord. That lays it in their laps to trust in God. He says, and stay. Stay on God. Stay upon His God. Folks, we as Christians, we need to stay upon God. This is a, that's, a, that's a message that is much needed for the church nowadays. Stay upon God. Don't stay upon yourself. And don't stay upon mommy and daddy's religion. Or upon, or upon son and daughter's religion for that matter. You stay upon God. You stay upon the one that instituted religion. You stay upon the one that saved your soul. Don't stay upon yourself or your works or your deeds. Or anything else that you have done folks. I'll tell you right now. It will do no good for a boat to anchor itself to itself. It's got to be anchored to something else. In order for it to do the right job, we need to be anchored on Almighty God. We need to be settled on God and we need to stay upon God. Verse 11. Behold, all you that kindle a fire, that confess yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall you have in my hand. You shall lie down in sorrow. So verse 10, we have him saying, Who is you? Who is among you that feareth the Lord? Verse 11, Behold all ye that kindle a fire, that compass or compass yourselves about with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire. This is a warning. It's a warning to people that we just spoke about. Those that are not staying on God. Those that do not fear God. Those that are not heeded to the voice of his servant. Those that are not trusting in the name of the Lord. It says, go ahead, kindle your own fire. Walk in the light of your own fire. And he says, and in the sparks that ye have kindled. Those sparks don't do a whole lot for light. Maybe momentarily. But long term, they don't do a whole lot. Even if those sparks do manage to light a fire, it's not the same as the light of God. It is far from the light of God. This is a warning. You kindle your own fire, it's going to go out. If you're depending on those sparks, they won't last long. You kindle your own fire, it ain't going to last. You might glory in it. You might pride yourself in it. You might say to the world, look at what I've done. Look at what I've created. I've created light all, uh, all of myself. I've created a lot to light my own path, how I want to go. God says, you'll find that in sorrow. Let this be a warning to you. If you're here lost, God says, you'll lie down in sorrow. Now, this is ultimately, for anyone that is not lost, God says, you'll lie down in sorrow. Not only sorrow, you'll lie down in torment. And that torment will be eternal. It will be everlasting. Folks, you remember, dear church, remember this. He's writing this to his people. Behold, all ye that came to the fire, that can pass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and the sparks that you have kindled. This shall you have in mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow, speaking to his own people, those which he, he told that he had already redeemed. Just a few chapters before this, he said, I redeemed you. Those that we have the account of the deliverance of Egypt. This entire generation, this entire race of people, God delivered. 
And he said, Ye shall lie down in sorrow, for you are dependent on your own power, and you are depending on your own sparks. This shall you have of mine hand, you shall lie down in sorrow. Speaking of the captivity, folks, that was a sorrowful time for the Israelites. It was a bad it would be a bad time for you and I if we were taken off somewhere that we didn't know, somewhere to a foreign land. No one spoke our language. Everybody wanted us to conform to their ways, dress like they did, act like they did, talk like they did. Hey, it'd be a bad time for us too. This is the sorrow specifically that God was talking about here for his own people. He says, if you walk in your own ways, you walk by your own light, you make your own fire, you depend on your own sparks, you will lie down in sorrow. And that's where he'll stay. But if we depend on God, if we heed to the servant of God, we walk in his ways, we fear God. We do these things in verse 10. Hope we have nothing to be afraid of. Who will contend with us, as the previous verses said? Who could accuse us? Who could condemn us if we're walking in the way of God, if we're walking with God, if God's got our hand taking us through this dark world, that we don't know what's on the other side of the corner, but praise God, he does. It's a warning to believers, yes, specifically to believers. But it's also a warning on the flip side to those that are depending on their own fire for salvation. I urge you, don't depend on that. Don't depend on your own works or your own deeds or anybody else's religion or religiosity. You depend on what this says, the Word of God. You confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. 